I thought I would open up with a lighthearted story. It's entitled this, Husband Discovers How His Wife Handled Their Conflicts. I thought the title would get some laughs. laughs. All right. So there once was a couple who had been married for 60 years. And throughout their life, they had shared everything. They loved each other deeply. They not kept any secrets from one another, except for a small shoebox that the wife kept the top shelf inside the closet. When they got married, she put the shoebox there and she asked her husband, don't ever look inside of that box and don't ask, any, don't ask any questions about it. So for 60 years, the man honored his wife's request. In fact, he forgot all about the box until the day when his wife started getting gravely ill and the doctors were sure she had no way of recovering. So the man putting his wife's affairs into order, he remembered that box in the top of the closet. He went, he got it, and he brought it to her at the hospital. He asked her if perhaps now, maybe now that they could open that box. She said, all right. So they opened up the box inside were two crocheted dolls and a roll of money worth $95,000. Yes, that's what he said. Oh. <laughs> Well, the woman told her husband that the day before they were married, that her grandma told her that if she and her husband were ever to get in a fight, to do all that you can to be reconciled with one another. And if you can't, to just uh, stay silent and crochet a doll. So the man, he saw there was only two dolls in that box. Oh, he was touched. He was falling even more deeper and madly in love with his wife. Because yeah. <laughs> apparently after 60 years of, marriages, of marriage, they only had two, two fights that they could not reconcile. So tears just came to his eyes. He grew even more deeply in love with her. Then he asked about that roll of money. What's this? He asked. His wife said, well, every time I crocheted a doll, I sold it to a local craft fair for five bucks. I could end right there. So we all have different ways of handling conflicts, even those that may endure over 60 years. That conflict may come from family, friends, husbands, wives, uh, neighbors, just about from anyone and from anywhere. But today we're going to be talking about how we endure conflict, not just any conflict, but the conflict we run into when it comes to sharing our faith. We're going to look at a passage, Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 through 25. Matthew 10, verses 21 through 25. There we're going to focus on the why. Why? Why would we endure that conflict? And the how. How do we endure that conflict? And I want to end with some words of encouragement for you. So the why, the how, and some words of encouragement about enduring conflict. In Matthew chapter 10, we find Jesus. He's sending out the 12 disciples. And they're healing the sick, healing disease, casting out demons, proclaiming the kingdom of God. All sounds great. But they come to find out that their message 
they themselves are not so welcome. Later, they would find out that they would be arrested and maybe possibly flogged. And then this week, we find out that death is a great possibility, that death is on the table. All of a sudden, following Jesus has become increasingly more dangerous with hostilities to be faced and conflict to be endured. So why? Why would they and why would we endure that conflict? Well, we endure that conflict for the sake of others. And we're going to take a look at that in the verses 21 and the first part of 22. We first see this through the conflict endured in the family relationships. The conflict is so fierce that it ignores even the strongest of bloodlines and family ties. The family was to be a unit. And as that unit, um, those bonds were so tight, they were necessary for survival and even the flourishment of their family. But we would soon see that that family would devolve into hostility, division, and even betrayal. Following Jesus could lead to resistance, hatred, harassment, and death, not just from outside the family, but from within the family. So we're going to take a look at verses 21 and the first part of 22. There it says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Rise against in this sense means to become active in forceful resistance or an expression of hostility. And we've seen the first part where it says brother will deliver brother over to death. We're going to see betrayal. So betrayal, resistance, hatred, death, all for following Jesus. Now following Jesus may seem like a threat to the family but he was their path to holdness. What they perceived as a threat that could lead to death was actually their path, their path to salvation and eternal life. In a couple weeks, Pastor Casey's gonna be preaching on a passage about how our love and loyalty to Jesus needs to be over our love and loyalty to our family. We find that loyalty to Jesus must be greater than that loyalty to family. But the Bible does say we are to honor our family, our parents. It even gives us instruction on how we are to love each other and interact with each other within the family. But if we don't have loyalty to Jesus, first and foremost, you know, we may never even take that first step towards him. And maybe just maybe if our first loyalty isn't to him, our loyalties will be divided. Or maybe in the first sign of resistance or harassment, we may falter. But it's because of Jesus that even when we're in the midst of all that, he gives us the power of his Holy Spirit to love people well, even when we're not liked. I got to tell you, the power of grace in that moment. Grace is so powerful. It's a message that overcomes any type of hate. I believe that. So, you know, we live here in this life. The life that we have here, we're living in the temporary. This is temporary, believe it or not. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we're looking towards the eternal, where we will spend eternity. 
if we truly love our families, we got to be able to live for that. I want to see my family there. I love them. I want to spend eternity there with them. Because once we get there, once we pass from this life to the next, there is no redo. There is no going back. So sometimes we got to stand strong, even in the face of that, of being harassed and that resistance and the, the hatred that we may have to endure. Because we're going to do it, we're enduring it for the sake of Jesus, but for their own sake also. We also see enduring conflict for the sake of others in the example of Israel. In verses 24 and 25, we find that, that we will be treated, not be treated any better than our Lord Jesus Christ. It is good enough for a disciple to be like his teacher or a servant to be like his master. We should strive to be like Jesus because we are not above him, but we are to be like him. But the result is that we can, be, we can expect to be treated like or even worse than him. So how was he treated? Well, he's treated with rejection, suffering, death, and hostility. As we look at verses 24 and 25, let's just read that, verses 24 and 25 in Matthew. It says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master, but it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, we find that the Pharisees, the holy men of Israel at that time, they called Jesus Beelzebul, the prince of demons, even Satan himself. Now that name Beelzebul, it could be interpreted as Lord of Flies, a Lord of Dung. They sought to use this word in the most derogatory way to insult Jesus, to disrespect him, to malign him, to scorn him, and those who would follow after him. But was Jesus done with them yet? Praise God that God does not give us what we deserve. We see his grace. We see that he still ends up sending out the disciples through all the towns of Israel. In verse 23, it says there, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The disciples, they would have to endure conflict for the sake of the very people Jesus wanted them to reach. This week, Pastor Casey uh, shared a quote with me that he found on Facebook that I wasn't able to find, but I thought it kind of encapsulated uh, this idea well. The quote went something like this. Paul entered heaven to the cheers of those he killed. Hmm. That, that should cause you pause to think about Paul entered heaven to the cheers of those he killed. Boy, if, if I died for my faith at the hands of somebody and we're in heaven and I see this person coming into the room, I would say that'd be an awkward situation. <laughs> but there's so much more to this. There's a bigger story going on. 
So in Acts, at the end of Acts uh, chapter 7, we find Stephen, a follower of Jesus. He just shared the gospel and the people became angry. I'm going to read it to you right here in verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and then they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a man named Saul, who would later be known as Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He had passed away. And Saul proved of this execution. And there arose on a day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Later, Paul, this Saul would become Paul. He would give his uh, life to Christ. Instead of being the chief persecutor of the church, he has to be known as probably the greatest missionary for the cause of Christ. Paul would come to follow Jesus. But I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 22, verse 19, and what it says there. There we see Paul admits his own persecution of the church, but Stephen, Stephen, he's the one that took the hit for Christ, for the cause of Christ. Even pleading before his last breath, before his last breath, he says, do not, do not hold this sin against them. Paul says, Lord, they know that in many of our meeting places, I arrested and beat people who had faith in you. Stephen was killed because he spoke for you. And I stood there and cheered them on. I even guarded the clothes of the men who murdered him. Paul, Paul would enter into heaven to the cheers of the likes of Stephen and others like them who died for Christ. We don't merely just endure conflict. It is enduring conflict with the purpose and I thought Will, William Barclay, uh, he articulated it well when he had this quote. Endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. And that's the greater picture and greater story that we're living for. That people come to Christ by us enduring those hard things. That maybe it will give us enough courage to be able to stand strong and endure. So we live in the temporary for the eternal. That's why we endure conflict, and it is for the sake of others. So we talked about the why. Why do we encourage, uh, endure conflict? It's for the sake of others. We also endure conflict with wisdom and integrity. Jesus knew the dangers he'd be sending his disciples into, but he gave this instruction uh, that we learned even last week. These verses are so close together, so one kind of bleeds into the other. But in verse 16, it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Is it a good idea to send sheep out among, serp or among wolves? 
It's a bad scene. You put sheep amongst wolves, they're going to tear them up, right? Well, Jesus knows the conflict that they're going to have to endure. So he tells them, be wise as serpents. Serpents symbolizing wisdom and cleverness. And last week, Pastor Fred, we learned from Pastor Fred last week that God grants us the wisdom of his word to speak boldly. This week we're learning about how we are to use wisdom in a little bit of a different way and how we are to endure the conflict. This wisdom is this, knowing when to stand and die or to flee. We can die on a hill or we can flee to fight the good fight another day. Or like the quote that Pastor Fred shared last week alluding to uh, the great Kenny Rogers, you gotta know when to hold them no when to hold them. Great. First service, I got nothing. You know, it's just I'm like, okay, no Kenny Roger fans out there. All right, we're going to move on. Okay. Uh, so we got to fight or flight. So we're to endure conflict with the wisdom to die. You know, we've already seen this in verse 21 that we could be handed over to death. That's a very real possibility. And as we look throughout Christian history, we've seen a lot of people being martyred for the faith. But what I was a bit surprised to find in this passage is that we are to have wisdom to flee. That, that that's an option. Flee here means to seek safety in flight. Now this is just not an afterthought. This word flee in verse 23, it's in the imperative. It's a command. So imagine it being in boldface, few underlines, an exclamation point after it, and you. You flee! That's an option. So when you are persecuted, and in this case that word persecution means to harass someone because of their beliefs, that it is okay to flee. The alternative to death, fleeing, it's a very real option. Now, it doesn't mean you enjoy, uh, avoid having the Jesus conversation. You still have that conversation. But what fleeing does, it gives you the opportunity to come back around, to revisit that conversation maybe for a better time. But in the meanwhile, disciples, when they fleed, they didn't stop sharing the gospel. No, they just moved on and kept on sharing It may take more than one conversation with that person. And you may be one of the people in a long line of people, long chain of people that God is sending to share that message. So by giving people a little bit of that space, it may keep that door open for someone else, one of our brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to continue to share that message. Or at the very least, you can revisit that conversation again. And it may give God time to be able to keep on working on that person. And in the meantime, it also gives them the opportunity to see whether our lives line up with the way we live. And that's what we call integrity. We are to endure conflict with wisdom, but also with integrity. Last week we learned that we are not just to be wise as serpents, but also innocent as doves. 
The innocence of doves represents purity and integrity. The same word for innocent is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. And there it reads, Do all things without grumbling. Do, do all things, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Our words need to match up with our actions. Integrity. In 2005, integrity topped the list of the Merriam-Webster dictionary searches. Ralph Whitehead, a journalism professor at the University of Massachusetts, said, the interest in integrity may indicate the continuing discussion about American values and morality. He also said that perhaps integrity is becoming scarce, so its definition is unfamiliar. Let me repeat that. Perhaps integrity is becoming scarce, so its definition is unfamiliar. Do you realize how winsome that would be to those around us if we showed integrity, especially as we endured conflict? We just might shine like lights in this world. Richard Halverson illustrated this well in this little article that he wrote called Witness Requires Integrity. And he says this there. Sure, we believe in freedom of speech. You've got the right to say anything you like. But others, they don't have to listen. There's un they're under no obligation to tune you in. And when they do, they can also tune you out anytime they wish. Now listen up to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. Your right to speak is guaranteed. But you must earn the right to be listened to. It depends solely on your integrity. Integrity is the prerequisite to acceptance. Hmm. If you expect to be paid attention to, back it up with your life. Let your walk correspond to your talk. This is fundamental to your witness for Christ. Many so-called Christians listen too little, talk too much, live lives that contradict what they say. Their witness betrays Christ and alienates those to whom they speak. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Luke chapter 6, verse 46. I pray for the strength of the Lord to be a man of integrity. I got three little ones that are watching me. You know, I don't always come through with flying colors. I pray that I'm a man of integrity, that, that they would remember the good. So that as they get older, that they would want this Jesus that I preach and that I share with them, that they would want him instead of abandoning him because I lack the integrity to walk the walk that I should have been walking. So why? Why do we endure the conflict? for the sake of others. How do we do it? With wisdom and integrity. Now I want to end with this. I want you to be encouraged. Be encouraged to the conflict endured. Be encouraged that you are being like Jesus when you do so. Be encouraged that Jesus awaits us at the end of this race. 
Be encouraged that the crown of life is waiting for you. Be encouraged knowing that it wins favor with God. Be encouraged that we will reign with Jesus. Be encouraged the conflict endured. That is the proof of our faith that the one who endures to the end will be saved. How many of you know uh, Pastor Andrew Brunson or have heard of him? A few? Okay. Uh, I just want to share a bit from uh, a chapel I got to um, read about at Wheaton College about Andrew Brunson. He was a Christian pastor from North Carolina for more than uh, 20 years in Turkey. It was a thriving ministry up until 2016, when after a failed military coup, the government shut things down, arrested, arrested him, along with journalists, activists, military officers, and others, and he was branded a spy. Brunson was held for more than a year without charges. <clears throat> he spent nearly two years in prison, often during long trials, uh, long trial sessions. And at one point, it looked like he could spend years or even decades in a Turkish prison. Finally, after pressure from the Trump administration, Brunson was released from prison and returned to the United States. In a Wheaton College chapel talk, Brunson candidly said, that he did not feel God's overwhelming presence during his stay in prison. Instead, he experienced something even deeper. Brunson said, after a few days in prison, I completely lost the sense of God's presence. God was silent, and he remained silent for two years. When he was finally brought to trial, things were even worse, he says. <clears throat> there are some who go into the valley of testing and some who do not make it out, I was broken. I lay there alone in my solitary cell. I had great fear, terrible grief, and I was weeping. And the thought kept going through my mind. Where are you, God? Why are you so far away? And I opened my mouth and as I wept aloud, and I was surprised of the words that were coming out of my mouth. I heard, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I thought, here, here is my victory. Even if you're silent, I will love you. Even if you let my enemy harm me, I will still love you. Just as Jesus said, but the one who stands firm, the one who endures, to the end, will be saved. So today, we got to hear the why we endure conflict for the sake of others, how, with wisdom and integrity. And I pray that you are encouraged to know that those who endure to the end will be saved. Be like Stephen. Pray for those. Pray for those who show opposition and hostility towards our faith. Pray that the Lord does not hold this sin against them. Pray that he will give us the strength to be a people of integrity. Pray that he will give us the wisdom to know when to give people space and when to re-enter those conversations. And pray that when we enter heaven, we enter into the cheers of those who were saved. Now today, maybe 
you're sitting here and maybe you want to know more about Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to continue to have that spiritual conversation. Maybe somebody else started with you. If you want to continue that conversation, we would love to be able to have you come forward. Maybe the next step of faith for you is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be baptized. Or maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. So what I want to do is I want to invite you to be able to come forward as the music plays.